Well, I want to minister for a little while this morning through a message I'm calling Two Great Lights. I don't think you'd have any disagreement with believers if you asked them, do you believe Jesus is the great light? Everybody would say, oh yes, I believe Jesus is the great light. Unequivocally, they'd say, yes, he is the great light. But let me repackage that question for a moment. If you took those same believers and you said to them, do you believe that you are the great light? That is where the stammering and the backpedaling tongue of uncertainty would begin for many. The truth be told, the very same light that lives in Jesus lives in us. Jesus' life is our life, and Jesus' light is our light. There's not two different lights. They are one and the same. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, we find these words. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, look at those words. He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. The Bible says the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, friends, let me tell you something. If you take a man that's been dead for three minutes, you can put the defibrillator paddles on him and you might bring him back alive. But we are talking about a man here who has been in the grave for three days. It takes more than a defibrillator paddle to bring him back to life. It takes the Spirit of God to do such a creative work. You see, after three days, there's some things that happen to the body. Rigor mortis has set in long before then. That's a stiffening of the body. Well, let me tell you what's happened to your blood. Your blood has coagulated. That means your blood has changed viscosities. What used to run like water now runs like syrup. It takes the spirit of God to do this kind of work. And the Bible clearly tells us right there that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And so what I want to do right out of the gate here is begin to encourage you to start thinking more largely of Christ and the power that's on the inside of you. The power that we harness is the most powerful force there is in the universe, the most powerful force there is anywhere. You see, at one time, we had a rigor mortis problem. We had a stiff neck against the things of God, but when the Spirit gave life to us, He gave us a new heart. He gave us a new way to see Him. And I love the songs this morning, all of them declaring the glory of the God. It was everywhere in the lyrics this morning. You say, I believe that His life is my life, but how is His light my light? Because at times I feel so dark. How can this light be my light? Well, friends, let me tell you something. Life and light go together. Life is the source of light. It's out of the life that God has that light emanates. You can't get light from a dead light bulb. You can't get life from it. You know, it's got to be living. It's got to be alive to some degree. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, here's what the word says. In him, who's that? Christ. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. 
Do you see how life and light go together? The Bible says, in him, in Christ, was life. Oh, life more abundantly. And he says, that life became the light of men. Jesus' life and light cannot be separated any more than you can separate cold from an ice cube. Any more than you can separate peace from freedom. You take cold away from ice cube, all you have is a puddle. You've changed the constitution. You take peace out of freedom, you don't have freedom anymore. You have bondage. I'm telling you, they go together. Jesus' life and light are one and the same, and we have them both. The Bible says we have eternal life. We have everlasting life. We have abundant life. It describes life so many different ways. It uses so many adjectives to describe life. I love it. We get our light from Jesus' life, period. Now, in John chapter 8 and verse 12, we find these words. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of, look at that, life. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Not a world, the world. I'm the light of the world. And he said, he that follows me, or another way to say it, he that puts his trust in me. He said, He's not going to walk in darkness anymore, but he's going to have the light of life. Now, does it say that? Does it say that Jesus is the light of the world in that scripture? These are the words that Jesus used himself. Now, I want you to put a ribbon in your mind there for just a moment. I want you to see what he said about you. Matthew chapter 5, verse 14. Now, let's juxtapose them. That means let's compare them side by side. Take a look at that. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Do you see any similarity there? I surely do. Now, one thing I've noticed when I study the Bible is when we're looking at the English words, behind those English words are either Hebrew words if you're in the Old Testament or Greek words if you're in the New Testament with a few Aramaic words. But one thing I've noticed is that every English word is not the same Hebrew word. Every English word is not the same Greek word. Also, I had to look to make sure here, but guess what I found out? The light that Jesus said he was is the light that he says we are. It's the same word. He said, you're the light of the world. It's the same word. See, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Light is the word phos in the Greek. We get our word phos, P-H-O-S. That is the light. And then he said, of the world. And I love this word world. You got to really enlarge your capacity to think when you see this, because that word world means the Greek word behind it is cosmos. You ever heard that word before? Cosmos. When's the last time you used that one? It means the universe. Cosmos is the universe. And he said, I am the light of the universe. You are the light of the universe. Quit thinking of yourself like some little birthday candle. You are the light of the world. Now look at that picture there. Look at that picture. Oh my heavens, that's taken with a telescope. Does it look a little familiar? It looks like an eyeball looking at you. Only a God in heaven with that kind of power could arrange things so it would look like that. Now does it make sense when he says, you are the apple of my eye. I am the light of the world. Cosmos, the universe. Let me tell you what cosmos describes. It describes a complex 
an orderly system or entity. In other words, there is nothing random. God didn't just take a bunch of stars and sling them out into space and go, wherever they land, wherever they stick, that's fine. No, God is a God of order. And why is that important? Because, listen, God arranges and orchestrates our lives as well. He doesn't bark orders at us, but He orchestrates us. He moves us here and there and arranges meetings, if you will, orchestrating all of His handiwork. Cosmos, it's used in a way that says it is the opposite of chaos. Chaos is when you don't have order anywhere. God is not a God of chaos. God is a God of order. God is a God of orchestration. God is a God of divine work and handiwork. Did you know that with the aid of the Hubble telescope, that the astronomers, in any direction you want to turn that thing, can look 13.8 billion light years into the galaxies? Now, listen, if I would have said 13.8 billion miles, that is a staggering number. But it can see 13.8 billion light years into the future. I find that just mind-boggling. Let me tell you something about light. Light travels at 186,282 miles per second. That is over six trillion miles in a year. If I turned on a flashlight, that light would keep going. And in one year, it will have went six trillion miles. Now, let me tell you something, because God's the one who created the light, isn't he? You know what? If you turn on a light, that light could go around the earth. Now, the earth is 24,000 some odd miles all the way around the earth. That light could go around the earth 7.5 times in one second. In one second. This is how powerful, how awesome our God is. He makes me happy in my toes. I, I, I'm just happy. It does. When I think about he's my father and he's so big. I mean, little kids tug on their daddy's trousers and they look up at their daddy and they think their daddy's so big. I'm telling you, our father is enormous. Yet he comes and he fits in the side of a man's heart. Now figure that one out one time. This is an amazing, amazing God. What is my point? My point is I'm very impressed with the telescope that can see 13.8 billion light years into the heavens, but that doesn't mean that's where the heavens end. They keep on going. The heavens are without end. They are without end. Do you know why that makes my heart stand up and want to applaud? I'll tell you why. Because the word tells me he has separated my sins as far as the east is from the west. And it, we're talking about a universe without end. I mean, if it ended, it would have to end into what? A wall? Well, then what's on the other side of the wall? No, it's a world without end. Because God is infinite. He's huge. He's big. He's large. I want us to consider for a moment the power that our almighty God harnesses in the form of love and of light and of life. 
It's big. It's awesome. For when we consider these virtues, then our issues of life will grow faint in the vast scope of his righteousness and glory. The God who said, let there be light is the same God that gave his son, Jesus Christ, so that he could live his love and his life and his light through man. So that which is true about Jesus is true about us. He is full of light. He is full of life. He is full of love. And the Bible says, in him dwells no darkness. And we have that same light. You can't have a light that bright and have darkness present too. Isn't that wonderful? What does that light do? It pushes darkness out of the way. Darkness can't even argue with light. And that light, listen, dwells inside of you, and I don't have any more light than you do, David. You don't have any more light than Valerie. We've got the same Jesus living on the inside of us. We are all full of light. Wow. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead lives in us. The same exact power. What I want you to see through the message today is this. We have Jesus' life that releases light to bring illumination in the darkest of times. Now, the inspiration for this message comes from many springs for me in my heart. I look to the heavens and I behold two great lights that our Father hung there. We call them the sun and the moon. I look to family and friends and I see two great lights, them and Jesus. When I look to Jesus, I see two great lights, grace and truth. As the book of Genesis opens, we discover that our Father has prepared an absolute paradise for His kids. Oh, He's been working on this over for a few days, that's all. But He has built a dynasty. He has built a paradise for His kids. Not only has the Father prepared a paradise on earth, but in the heavens also. He has built an amusement park into our Milky Way. I remember the night I got saved, the very next night. I went outside and it was a starlit night and my breath was taken away as I suddenly looked at the stars twinkling at me. I thought, wow, Father, you did that. Stuff I never, ever thought about before. I see stars and I think, well, it's a starlit night. That was about it. But I wasn't praising the stars. I was praising the star behind the stars. Jesus Christ, the light of the world. That's the star I was praising. He's built an amusement park into the Milky Way. God has done something with words that Leonardo da Vinci couldn't do with a million colors and the finest brushes. I'm telling you, he couldn't do it in a lifetime, friends. Daddy has spared nothing. The heavens and the earth have been sequined with absolute righteousness and glory. Hey, look how beautiful they are. Unparalleled beauty, unparalleled glory. You can't find it anywhere else. The psalmist David said these words in Psalm chapter 97 and verse 6. Look what he says. He said, the heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Do you see that? The heavens themselves declare his righteousness. Now we understand when Jesus said, if you don't praise me, these rocks will cry out. He made everything. The Bible says without him was not anything made that was made. 
So I want to ask you the shortest question I can think of. Okay, you ready for this question? Here's the shortest question I can think of. Why? (laughs) Why? Let's lengthen the question. Why would daddy do this for us? He didn't do that just for him. He did that for us. You see, if we'd never known they were there, if we'd never seen them at one time, we wouldn't know what we were missing, right? He did that for us too. Why did he do that for us? I'm going to tell you why he did that for us. Because he loves us. Because he loves you, Claudette. Because he loves us. Because he cares. Because he's powerful. Because he can. Because he's rich. Because he's full of grace and truth. I love it. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says these words. See what great love the Father has lavished. I love that word. It sounds like you're getting smothered, doesn't it? And if you want to smother me with daddy's love, bring it on. It's like gravy on top of a biscuit. Oh, just bring it on. Lavish this love on me, daddy. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that. Man, he just had to get that in at the end, put an exclamation point on it. He said, and that is what we are. Children of God, lavish with daddy's love. So let's rain on your parade for just a second, okay? I've been marching Jesus down the street. He's got a float that is better than any float you've ever seen in your life, carrying the king of kings. Let's rain on that parade for just a second. Here's the problem. Just as these truths begin to solidify in our heart, we get reminders that we live in a fallen world. Let's just be real with each other, okay? We get reminders of that. In our fallen world, we have to deal with issues. Issues of life come along. Assignments by the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Issues that destroy, in some cases, people's dreams. Issues in the form of sickness and disease. Issues in the form of disillusion and betrayal. Poverty and condemnation, fear, guilt, and shame. Issues of life that work overtime in an attempt to plunder the very life and light that Jesus has deposited into our hearts. Let me say this to you. I want you to get this visual. Allowing the enemy to rent space in your heart is like letting your neighbor borrow your toothbrush. It just doesn't make sense. You'll never forget that one, will you? No, I mean, when the Lord said it to me, I said, what? You want me to tell them that? You know, I'm listen. There's been a couple times since we've been married, I had to use Valerie's toothbrush. And even though I'm married to her, there's just something sacred about a toothbrush. Can I get an amen? It was a desperate situation. I don't even remember it, but it's like, it just feels weird going into your mouth. It's just like it's not supposed to be there. And I'm telling you, when we allow the enemy to rent space in our mind, rent space in our heart about what he's going to do to us, you tell him, you remind him of how big your daddy is. You remind him that the whole cosmos belongs to him. You remind him that he has separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. He's taken away your guilt, shame, fear, and condemnation. He has removed it. That's how big my daddy is. You got something to say to me, you go talk to him. Remember that. Please remember that. Friends, no matter what the size of the issue 
you're dealing with in life is, I want you to use the defibrillator paddles on your paintbrushes. And I want you to paint two great lights in the universe. Not the sun and the moon, but the sun in you. Paint Christ and you holding hands together, walking along, just like God used to do with Adam in the cool of the day before the world fell. He would come down, the Bible says, and he would walk with Adam every day and just have fellowship, hold hands with his son, put his arm around his neck. I still do that to my boys when they come over. Man, I just grab them around the neck, pull them ever so close to me. Say, I love you, son. You can't use my toothbrush, but I do love you. <laughs> and in your mind, I want you to see that the final strokes of that painting that you are painting, I want you to take and I want you to paint your issues of life at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus. Whatever the issues of life are that you're dealing with, sickness, poverty, disease, betrayal, loneliness, whatever it may be, I want you to paint that at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus Christ. And then I want you to watch as the passion and dreams that you once had just for living, just for living alone, are resurrected, they're reinstated. They come to life in the presence of an all-consuming God of love and light and life. Vincent Van Gogh, that great artist, said these words. He said, I dream of painting. And then he said, and then I paint my dreams. Think about that. All he had was a one-track mind. All he could dream about was painting. And when the dream came to him, that is the very dream he painted. I want you to begin to dream about life and light and Christ and God and the fact that he's made you the light, the foss of the cosmos. I'll awaken those dreams in your heart this morning. You've got to see it in your mind's eye first. It won't happen. That's what faith is. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. In other words, we're not taking physical things today like they did in the Old Testament. They take a lamb. That requires really no faith. You've got substance, right? You march your little substance in and you slaughter him and you sacrifice him. We have faith. Everything in God's kingdom operates by faith in Christ. That may be an exercise for some of you to literally go home. I may even encourage you to do that, is to get out your crayons, whatever it may be, and watercolors, whatever it is, your pencils, your number two pencils, and begin to draw, begin to doodle, if you will, what God destined your life to look like before someone came along and spoke something into your ear that was contrary to the word of God and you took it hook, line, and sinker and it just kind of pulled you over into another kingdom area for a while. But listen, I'm telling you, the kingdom of Christ, when he comes to live inside of you, he abides forever. He abides forever. Amen? Amen. Please don't let the enemy or another human being stick a label on you that tells you that you are anything less than a righteous child of God. Don't let that stick. People are going to say things. I've had two or three people in my life say, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And really, I didn't even do anything that I think was even wrong. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. I think it's just a habit people get into saying that kind of stuff. You know, ah, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. They'll say it with tongue in cheek. 
And I'll say, well, I'm not. Why? Because Jesus bore my shame. He bore my sickness. He bore my sorrow. Surely he hath borne our grief and sorrow, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He took it all. I want you to begin to dream again in living color. I want you to go back to the time when he first gave his life to you. It was there that you can begin to consider once again what great love the Father has lavished on you that you should be called a son of God, that you should be called a daughter of God, a child of God. I want to remind you that he referred to you as the light of the world. You're not in some sort of chaotic state, although it may feel that way at times. It's not your reality. You are not chaotic in his eyes. Daddy has recreated you without defect. Daddy has created you without chaos. He has arranged you perfectly in the body of Christ. And there you remain forever. I want to put you in remembrance that Daddy has built an amusement park in your backyard. What a wedding gift. Isn't that beautiful? And I can walk out there and go, Daddy, that, that belongs to me, doesn't it? Now he says, son, it does, because you are the light of the world. It's called the cosmos. Just to keep us in awe of his righteousness and glory. Just so he could take you on a midnight stroll, on a starlit night, and say to you, son, do you see all the lights in the cosmos? But then to look at you and say, son, you are the brightest of them all. You are the light of my life. And I love you with a perfect love. I'm telling you, when the Father sees you, you are brighter than any star. There ain't no star that's going to outshine you. How do I know that? Because Christ is the light of the world. What could outshine Christ? And Christ lives in you, remember? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And he said, you are the light of the world. God sees us as a bright, shining star but yet a son at the same time. Everything the father has prepared for his son's bride is extravagant. Exquisite, big words, but I'm telling you, everything he's done for his kids, extravagant, the best of the best. You couldn't better it, he couldn't better it. He did it right the first time. He is the richest and he is the most generous of all kings and all fathers, amen? On the fourth day of creation, we find these words. Genesis chapter 1, verses 14 through 18. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Watch these next words. And God made, look at those words, two great lights. The greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night, he made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. That's what he did when he came and lived inside of us. He divided the darkness from the light. Darkness had to leave. And the Bible says he looked at man, he said, not just it is good. He looked at man and said, very good. 
He had not used those words together yet. Every time he made something, he just said, it is good, it is good, it is good. When he made man, he said, oh, very good. Very, very good. Look how good I did. I'll bet the angels in heaven said, God, if we had a jealous bone in our body right now, it would manifest. But praise and glory to your name. You did good, God. Look what I've done. And man stood up when he breathed in his nostrils a living soul, and he began to worship the Father of lights, the Father of life, the Father of love. The two great lights that God hung in the firmament are none other than the sun and the moon. The Bible says the greater light rules by day, which is the sun, the lesser light rules by night, which is the moon. When it uses the adjectives greater and lesser, they do not refer to the quality of the objects. In other words, the substance that God would have made them with. I know he made them with his words. But it doesn't mean, it's not like bronze, silver, gold. It's not like that. What he's referring to when he's talking about one is greater and one is lesser, he's really referring to cause and effect. You see, the sun is the one that affects the moon. You see, the moon, this is interesting, of course we all know this, but the moon has no light in itself. You think it does when you look up there at night and you see that, especially a full moon, big harvest moon. You think, wow, what a big, beautiful moon. So full of light, got a big light bulb on the inside of it. No, the moon has no light. It gets its light source from the sun. And friends, so do we. Apart from the Son of God, we have no light. The light came and lived on the inside of us. He was basically saying, listen, it's not good enough for me that the light just reflects on you. That's what happened under the old covenant. The light would just reflect on people. But under the new covenant, he said, I'm going to move in. I'm going to put the light on the inside of you. It's a bright light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 6, we find this word. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light. See those words? To give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I love this in the face of Christ. Where's our light come from? It comes from his brilliance. For God who said, let light shine in the darkness made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Beautiful. God has given us five senses. We can see, hear, smell, taste, and touch. Many times, one or more of those senses has a way of overriding what we know to be true in our hearts. This is where our emotional and our physical realm try to usurp authority over our spirit man and where we have to draw a line and take a stand. In other words, there are times when each of us allow our emotions and the accusations of the enemy put a label on us that says we're dark, and defiled when Jesus says, no, you are light and pure. Very important. 
When the enemy screams untruths to us, we need to allow Jesus to whisper in our hearts these words. Let light shine out of darkness. You're not dark anymore, but out of the dark chaos that's around us at times. He says, let light shine out of that and penetrate that of darkness. Let his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Listen to me. When we are faced with a crisis, we need to face Christ. Remember that. When you are faced with a crisis, we need to face Christ. Why? Because his face is full of love. His face is full of light. His face is full of life. His face is full of provision. And suddenly the crisis begins to shrink in size. In times like these, we might want to find the way to turn down the volume of our emotions, our logic, and our reasoning. Oh, they'll get you in trouble. They will just get you in trouble. They'll have you all over the place. You'll be like a yo-yo. You know, when we were in school, yo-yos were big, man. We all, every, all, all of us had yo-yos. And I used to just marvel at some, how some of these guys could do these things. And I played with that thing long enough where I learned how to do all those fancy tricks. I love walking the dog, though, man. You just throw that thing down, that yo-yo just kind of sitting out in front of you like it's walking on the cement, you know. And all of a sudden, you give a little yank and it pops back in you. I'm telling you, if you allow the enemy to whisper into your hearts, you'll be like that yo-yo. You'll be down there walking your dog, and then you'll be popping back at you. I'm telling you, it is the word of God that is steadfast and true and never changes. Amen. We have to think about his love. His love. Come on, people. I know it's hard to understand this kind of love. I get it. It's like trying to explain colors to a blind man. He, he's kind of understanding a little bit about what you're talking about, but he can't get the picture. God's love is amazing. God's love is overwhelming. The French artist Paul Goquin, he said these words. He said, I shut my eyes in order to see. What? An artist said that? Friends, that's what worship is about. I shut my eyes. I see him better. Why? Because my other senses are not involved. I'm not looking at what the guy in front of me is doing. That's why I love to stand on the front row if I can. I don't have any distractions. And I shut my eyes so that I can see better. Amen. In the Gospel of John, Jesus encounters a man that was born blind. This man has never seen a sunrise, a sunset, or a sunburn. He has been blind from birth. This man does not see darkness. He sees nothing. See, that's a hard one, isn't it? You say, well, surely if, if you're blind, you see darkness. No, you don't see anything. See, Brother Paul, that'd be like this, man. If I just painted an eye right there in the middle of your forehead, and I said, what do you see out of that eye? You'd say, well, I see nothing. Exactly. If eyes don't work, you see nothing. You don't just see darkness. And Jesus meets a man like that. He meets a man that has never seen the light of day. The blind man has never seen the moon, the sun, and the stars. Yet the son of righteousness, the man in the moon, 
And who else but the morning star is standing right in front of him to help him. Jesus is about to turn his unseasoned world into a cornucopia of flavors. Why? Because he loves him. Friend, that's the reason. He loved that man. And he's going to change that man. Actually, as I was studying and just kind of meditating on this miracle yesterday, I thought, wow, Jesus actually performed two creative miracles in one. I've never heard this preached before, but he actually performed two creative miracles in one by not only opening the eyes of the blind man, but by cognitively connecting that man's ability to immediately function in a three-dimensional kingdom. Let me see if I can explain this. It's hard, but if a man has never seen the light of day and you instantly give him eyesight like Jesus did, you think, man, that would just be beautiful. I mean, he would just be rejoicing, and he was very happy about this. But if Jesus hadn't performed the other part of that miracle, this man would have been in trouble. You see, it would be like this. If all we've known is sight, and then all of a sudden we're in total darkness, that's what it would be like from him going to total darkness to light. Nothing would make sense. Why? Because he has nothing to stick it to. It's the first time. You could be the ugliest man in the world. He'd probably think you're, you're the handsomest guy in the world. He'd say, oh, man, you're so beautiful. He'd have nothing to compare it to. And I love that about God. He doesn't look at one and go, you're, you're kind of okay, you're okay, you're okay. No, no, God says, you're all mine. You're all full of light. I love it. You see, if a person has been blind their entire life and their eyes were instantly open, let me tell you something. They wouldn't be able to tell you the difference between a basketball and an ice cream cone from sight. And they wouldn't be able to tell you. You said, which one of those is an ice cream cone? They'd go, I don't know. I really don't know. Why? Because they have no association. So when Jesus performed this miracle, he gave him all the cognitive ability to be able to distinguish and to be able to walk. Valerie and I were talking about it on the way to church this morning. If all of a sudden you had eyesight and you've never looked at the ground, it, this would be kind of scary for you. You would just go, what is going on here, you know? It would be tough for you. It'd be, again, like us walking in darkness. Do you see how good God is? And he said, listen, I know what your deepest need is. Yeah, you want to be able to see. And of course, this is all symbolic of the spiritual realm that God gives us eyes. God creates a miracle in our heart. We see all the spiritual applications of this too in this physical story. He would be able to know a basketball from an ice cream cone because he or she has lived in the kingdom of touch and not the kingdom of sight. It would be confusing and frustrating for them at first had Jesus not done the second part of that miracle. And so it is with believers that are transitioning from the kingdom, listen to me, of law into the kingdom of grace. At first, it's confusing. I get it. See, we like the change that's going on, but at the same time, it seems kind of puzzling. And it even seems frustrating at times because we're so used to doing things differently. 
Again, we have been conditioned to think two-dimensional in a three-dimensional world. Two-dimensional objects have no depth to them. They have height and width, but they have no depth. That's a two-dimensional object. A three-dimensional object has height, width, and depth. And you know what I found? I found out when grace began to drip into my heart, the Scripture had depth to it. I was looking at Scripture almost two-dimensionally going, oh, it's got some height to it. Oh, it's got some width to it. But where's the depth? And when Daddy began to say, son, I'm going to take the light of the world that I put in you, and I'm going to peel back the eyes that you have never seen the Scriptures in, and I'm going to give you a cognitive ability to understand those Scriptures, I thought, heaven's sake, how could that have always been there? And I could have never seen it. It was puzzling at first. It was bewildering at first. It is almost as though that Daddy has just given us new eyes to see His righteousness and His glory and His grace. When the blind man opened his eyes for the first time, he saw two great lights. He saw the light of day and he saw the light of the world stand right in front of him. He saw grace and truth standing right in front of him. Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in John chapter 1 that grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now let me ask you a question. Did the blind man deserve new eyes? No. <laughs> That's what grace does. Grace says, you don't deserve it, but I'm going to give it to you because I am good. I'm a wonderful maker. And I'm going to do it because I'm good. That's the unmerited favor and grace of God. It was daddy's hands at work on that man's eyes. Jesus demonstrated the truth that light always wins over darkness when he touches it. Truth dispelled the light that day that that blind man would spend all of his days feeling his way through life, working his way through a cosmos without light. We see the story in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As he went along, he saw a blind man from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that this man was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Jesus said, night is coming when no one can work while I am in the world. Look at those words. I am the light of the world. That was Jesus' motif. He just used that a few scriptures before that in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery. He told them the same thing. He said, I'm the light of the world. John 8, 12, we saw the scripture. This is the second time now that he has used this. He said, while I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I love this. It says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, let me help out the disciples here. I don't want to throw them under the church bus, okay? I don't believe that the disciples are on a witch hunt for sin. They have simply been conditioned to associate blindness with the curse. And therefore, their landing page is someone must have sinned. That is their default that they land on every time. Well, someone had to sin that 
Blindness is a curse, and it was true under the old covenant. Blindness was a curse. We got a blind man, right? Yeah, we got a blind man. He's under a curse, right? Someone had to sin, right, Jesus? But Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happens so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as his day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, let's continue in the story, verses six and seven. After saying this, Jesus spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Salome, which the word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. I was originally going to name this message earlier this week. I was going to name this message, Came Home Seen, because that is exactly what the message of grace has done for me. It brought me home seen, clearer than I've ever seen before in my life. I was going to name it, Came Home Seen. There's not a single person under my voice, whether you're here or listening by the internet, that at one time or another in their life has not gotten a foreign object in their eyes whether it be a grain of sand, whether it be an eyelash or just a speck of dirt. You've had that happen, haven't you? Now, let me tell you one thing that we all know for sure. It is irritating. I don't know why they call it irritating. It has nothing to do with the ear. It should be irritating. But it is irritating, to say the least. And sometimes you rub and rub and rub and rub. What is our response when something gets in our eyes? We flush our eyes with water to try to get that object out of there. So now Jesus takes dirt and spit and makes mud. And then he packs that concoction into the eye sockets of the blind man. Now, if a speck in our eyes is irritating, you see, this man had eyeballs. He just couldn't see. Can you imagine what it was like with your eye sockets packed full of mud? Irritating. I can only imagine there was an irritation. Jesus tells him to go to the pool of Siloam and wash. There's his irrigation. And then the blind man came home seeing there is his illumination. Do you see that? Listen, I don't want to give you some sort of formula, but I do see the principle in this, okay? I do see the principle. As I was meditating, and I couldn't help but think, Daddy, that's what you did for me in my quest to find rest. I had an irritation that religion couldn't scratch. A religion couldn't flush out. But when the two great lights of grace and truth began to irrigate my heart. There was an illumination that brought me home seeing. There was an illumination that allowed me to see things that the Hubble telescope cannot see. There was an illumination that allowed me to dream again and then to paint my dreams into the hearts of men and women and boys and girls all over the world in countries that we may never visit. 
There was an illumination that turned my unseasoned world into a spice rack bursting with robust flavors. Listen, listen to me carefully. This is very important. I want you to hear this. The word does not promise us that we are going to be able to sidestep or even avoid every irritation in life. Understand that, okay? I don't care how spiritual you are, irritations are going to come your way. We're going to experience losses. We're going to experience setbacks. That is going to happen. I don't know what world you're living in if you think that ain't going to happen. That is going to happen. But I assure you that at the same time, the God that made the universe will make a way for you in the middle of that irritation. Hear me now. I said the God that made the universe will make a way for you in the middle of that irritation. A weightlifter has irritated muscles. Why? Because he worked them out. But I'm going to tell you something. Without irritated muscles, there is no growth. Listen, I wouldn't pray for an ounce of irritation to hit my life. It seems like there's enough of it that just comes naturally. I wouldn't pray for it, but I'm going to tell you something emphatically, and that is I have grown more in the face of opposition and persecution and all these other irritations. I have grown more in the midst of those things than I have at a time when there's been absolute peace and calm. It is true. It is very true. Every time a weightlifter exercises, his muscles grow stronger. Every time we exercise the two great lights of faith and grace, we grow stronger. Amen. So then, what is our response when sickness and disease and disillusion and betrayal and poverty and condemnation and darkness and dread and shame and guilt and condemnation and fear come knocking on our door? What is our response? Well, first of all, please, do not ask the same question that the disciples asked Jesus, who sinned. See, if you're not careful, that will be your default. Every time something goes wrong, you're going to say, what did I do? How did I miss the mark? How did I bring this on me? How did I sin? What didn't I do, Daddy? Don't ask that question. Your sin has been dealt with at the cross. Friends, our sin was consumed by his righteousness and glory. Every bit of it. When the issues of life knock on our door, see them for what they really are, merely irritations. Our response is to irrigate our souls with the washing of the word so that we might come home seeing, seeing what you ask, seeing grace and truth, the two great lights. Friends, the wonderful embrace from the message today are these. The same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in believers and he gives them life. That life is the light of men and in turn, believers become the light of the world. Not through a slow cooker process, but at the speed of light. 
We have Jesus's life. We have Jesus's love. We have Jesus's light. We have all of his capacity to live life and see good days. The universe speaks of the God of order and vastness. The cosmos reveals countless stars and the two great lights called the sun and the moon. He is the God that reaches beyond man-made technologies and contraptions our fathers has created in an instant with words that an artist couldn't do and accomplish in many lifetimes, in many light years by himself. The heavens declare his righteousness and all the people see his glory. Daddy encourages us to dream once again in living color and then to take those dreams and paint them on the canvas of heaven. Daddy says, paint sun. Go ahead and paint sun. Paint the two great lights of grace and truth. Paint the two great lights of faith and grace. Paint the two great lights of life and light. Paint the two great lights of Jesus in you. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. The same God made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. You see, friends, it was Jesus's face that first shined in our hearts. His light took away our darkness. He took away our blindness. And he took away our condition to see nothing. So that together, Jesus and you, Jesus and me, we could manifest two great lights in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Daddy, I just want to thank you. The cosmos declares the beauty of the Lord. I want to thank you, Father, that nothing compares to the created man. Nothing compares to the royal diadem that you put inside of us, and that is Jesus Christ himself. I want to thank you, Father, that you have awakened inside of us the ability to once again begin to dream and then to paint our dreams. And then take that painting and lay it at the nail-scarred feet of Jesus. All of our issues of life, we lay there. And we thank you, Father. We thank you that this light and this life and this love has manifest on the inside of us. I praise you for that, Jesus. I thank you, Father. I thank you for your goodness. I walk away, Daddy, today in awe of everything you've done, especially in giving us our ability to see two great lights, grace and truth, in Jesus' name. Amen.